the title of my message is How to Rule a Woman. I expected that. Don't leave, though. How to Rule a Woman. I was going to do a video on Facebook earlier in the the week and say, hey, guys, you want to be at church Sunday? I'm going to teach you how to rule a woman. But since we have more women that come to this church than men, I figured that wouldn't be a smart thing to do. Because some of you sisters was like, I know he didn't. My husband ain't going to hear that. Let me give you a couple of statistics real quick. The CDC says that marriage, the, the divorce rate for marriage in America used to be 50% for years. And since the early 90s, the divorce rate was 50%. So 50% of the people who got married divorced. And it's been a long statistic for a long time. It's been an issue. It's been a problem. 50% of marriages that start fail. Why? Why do they fail? Why do they fail? Is marriage easy? It's hard, right? It's hard. The new statistic, the new, the new statistic is, is that 42 to 45% of marriages end in divorce now. But don't clap because there's a deep, dark secret to why. The younger generation isn't marrying. The younger generation is doing what us older generations used to call shacking up. Oh, shut me down when I'm preaching. They shacking up. Today they call it cohabitating. They're trying to clean it up, make it feel better. It's still sin. I get guys in marriage counseling all the time ask me if they're living together before they get married. Well, was it a sin to live together? No, it's not a sin to live together. But tell me one man that can keep his hands off of a woman who he's living with in the same house. I can't. Why torment yourself? How to rule a woman. (laughs) The younger generation doesn't want to marry. They're waiting longer. There's nothing wrong with waiting longer. There's a problem, though, with cohabitating. It's sin. I don't care how you wrap it up. I don't care what excuses you make for it. It's sin. If you're sleeping with a woman before you're married to her, it's sin. Say it's sin. It's sin. So there's a problem. Let's look at the problem. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. There's a principle called the principle of first mention. When something's first mentioned in the Bible is where you're going to get the deepest meaning to it. So when the Bible mentions something the first time, you need to always refer back to that time because that's the place you're going to get the most meaning, the most definition for that particular topic or whatever it is. And so today we're talking about marriage. We're going to go all the way back to the first marriage, say the first marriage. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 to 13. But before I read it, I want to kind of give you the backstory. Adam and Eve were in the garden with God. God created Adam, said, man, created him from the dust. God loved what he created. Uh, One of the only things God ever said in the garden that he didn't like was that he didn't like for Adam to be alone. So he put Adam in a deep sleep, pulled from his, his, his side a rib, and from that rib formed a woman. Because he said Adam needed a helper that was just right for him. And so now there's Adam and there's Eve. I think it's the coolest, funniest thing when Adam comes out of the sleep. You want to know why you're called woman? It's because when Adam saw Eve, he went, whoa, man. 
It's an old joke. Still makes you laugh. Oh, man. Some of you, the first time you saw your wife, you went, whoa, man. Why'd you quit? Next time she gets her hair done, her nails done, her face done, her clothes done, you need to walk in the room and go, whoa, man. And she'll go, what, is it good or is it bad? He said, oh, baby, it's all good. Adam and Eve were with God in the garden. The Bible says that, that in, those, in those days that, that God would show up in the cool evenings to visit and walk with Adam and Eve. The garden was a perfect place. There was nothing wrong with the garden. In the middle of the garden was one tree that God says you cannot eat from. It's kind of like going on a diet. The minute you say you're going to quit sweets, every commercial is a Bluebell commercial. The minute you say you're going to quit fast food, McDonald's is all over the TV. Come on, you know what it is. The minute God said don't eat from the tree in the middle, it's kind of like he put a radar on it, right? And you're like, oh, what's up with the tree in the middle? Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Don't speed. They're in the garden. Put yourself there real quick. They're in the garden. The Bible says in the cool evenings, God would come and walk with them, and they would have a relationship. They would talk. They would visit. They would hang out. They would communicate. They'd probably laugh, cut up a little bit, talk about the garden, talk about the animals. I bet God went, why'd you name the mosquito mosquito? Should have named it Satan. Right? And, and, and that's the kind of relationship they had. It was an unhindered, unbroken, pure, holy relationship. Nothing in the way. The Bible says they were both naked and were unashamed. Found no shame in their nakedness. Walked with God in the garden and, and had a great relationship with him until one day. One day the serpent comes along. The Bible says he's quick-witted, and he deceives Eve into eating from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. There's a message there. I'm not going to preach it today. I'll preach it for another day, but there's a message right there. But today we're going to talk about the consequences of that decision. Say there's consequences. Sin always has consequences. You've got to understand this. With sin comes consequences every time. Every time. Does God forgive us? Absolutely. Does he cover us and protect us? Absolutely. Does he cleanse us and wash us? Absolutely. But there's consequences to the sin. So Adam and Eve take the fruit. Eve eats it first. Then she turns around and gives some to Adam, which means that Adam was there when the whole thing went down. And in that moment, the Bible says their eyes were open, they realized they were naked, and they were full of shame. Let's pick the story up in verse 8. You with me so far? When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees, first time they ever hid. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Watch this. Then the man replied, 
It was the woman you gave me. Who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then God asked the woman, what have you done? It was the serpent who deceived me. (laughs) She replied, that's why I ate it. You see what's going on? Not much has changed. Right? Right. Not much has changed. We still trying to blame each other. Come on. I can tell you how many times I went to prayer. Lord, you need to straighten that crazy woman up. Lord, I went one time. We we got in a fight. That's back when we used to fight after 10 o'clock. We quit that. We like sleeping more than fighting. We got in a fight after 10 o'clock. I'm 11, 11.30. I'm in, the, I'm in the living room praying. And I was determined I was right. Shows you my condition. I walked into the living room and I said, Lord, you need to straighten that woman up. I'll go back in there when you straighten her up. 30 minutes later, I come up off the floor, crying my eyes out. I walk in the bedroom and I say, I've been a knucklehead. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? We're still blaming each other. Still pointing fingers at one another. You seeing it? There's a problem. It was the woman. (laughs) No, it was the serpent. There's a problem. It's the first time they realized they were naked. The first time they ever hid from God. Man, much hasn't changed. You know the quickest way out of trouble? Do you know the quickest way to get out of trouble? Is to just own it. Just own it. Why go through the gamut of making excuses? Just own it. And let's move on about repentance and deliverance and freedom and forgiveness. Amen? So there's some consequences here. Watch what happens next. Verse 14. It says this, it says, Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. Say thank you, Eve. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground for, from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return dang man they just ate some fruit it was the disobedience part consequences satan gets or the serpent gets cursed the ground gets cursed adam and eve get handed some consequences you can't enjoy pregnancy and labor anymore because of eve Man, you're sweating and beating and breaking your back to scratch up a living. Adam didn't work that hard. Consequences. 
So here's where I got the message from, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. When God was speaking to Eve, he says, And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. You will desire to control your husband. There's going to be a desire in you, Eve, to control your husband. There's going to be a desire in you to control your husband, but he's going to rule over you. And in that moment started the battle of the sexes. That's where it started. Man wants to rule over the woman. Woman wants to control the man. And it's a constant battle. Still today, it's a constant battle. And I'm here to tell you this morning that some of you are still trying to control your husband and some of you are still trying to rule over your wife and it's not working. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a better way. There's a better way. How to rule over a woman. That's what we're going to learn today. How to rule over a woman. This is where the fight gets real. The woman wants to control the man and the man wants to rule. How many of you would agree? It's been going on for too long. You recognize the battle? You recognize the fight, four of you. Praise God, I'm in the right church. Let's look at how women try to control men by telling him what he needs to be doing. Can I tell you there's nothing more offensive to a man than for a woman to tell him what he needs to be doing? You need to be doing this. Dudes don't tell dudes to do that because we know we'll punch each other. Right? She tells him what he needs to be doing. She questions everything he does. She's ma- she makes comments and remarks about him. She withholds intimacy in an effort to control him. Ha oh, I ain't stupid. A woman will take her, her ability to have intimacy with her husband and she will use it to play him like a puppet. He's got to act right, speak right, be right, do right. All things got to be right before you can be intimate. And the man's going, dang! Brother can't measure up! It's not right. The Bible says, do not withhold that from one another. Don't withhold it from one another. Don't use it as a tool to manipulate one another. Use it as an instrument of pleasure that God gave you to enjoy it. Amen? Now you come in the house acting like a cuyon, you're probably not going to get real intimate with the wife. Guys, you need to be wise about it. You heard what the occasion lady said, right? The men, they bark all day, but they meow at night. <laughs> She'll hold intimacy against him in an effort to control him. She treats him right only when it's to her benefit. She shows him no respect in an effort to beat him down. And then once he's pretty beat down, she'll complain to her friends that he's a loser and good for nothing. All in an effort to control him because you want what you desire. And you leave him a broken man with no confidence or hope. Is it real? 
Come on, it may not be that broad or that bad or that in your face in your family, but I promise you this, there's probably something there. Somewhere's in there, there's probably something there. Man wants to rule the woman. Let's look at what he does. He tries to intimidate her with his masculinity. Keeps her under his thumb in an effort to make her realize she can't live without him. Doesn't want her to dress up and take good care of herself because he's jealous and doesn't want anyone else to see her, her beauty. And then he has the audacity to tell her she don't look good anymore. He will occasionally put his hands on her to keep her in fear of his strength. Never gives her what she really wants and that's to be loved. He just wants her at his command. He speaks to feed her insecurities instead of calling her out of them. He's a dictator and wants to dictate what she can and can't do. All in an effort to keep her under his rule. You see the battle? Is it real? It may not be that bad in your house, but it's real. I want to let you in on a little secret. You're going to work on your marriage until you die. The minute you think you've arrived and you don't need any more work on your marriage, you're in deep trouble. You're in denial. Every one of us can improve in our marriage. Amen? The battle's real. The struggle's real. So what do we do now? What do we do now? Well, God's word gives us some help. It really does. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. You getting something yet? Ephesians chapter 5. Now what? God has a solution. Verse 21. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I just might read that again. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I'm not trying to beat you. I'm trying to help you. Submit to your husband just like you would submit to Jesus. Get that in your mind. Get that in your emotions. Get that in your heart. Submit to your husband like you would submit to Jesus. Submit. Say submit. Ladies say submit. Men say submit. Just like the first service. That was chicken. Men say submit. Okay. Just trying to help you out. We're trying to rule a woman here. Come on. Submit means to accept or yield to the authority or will of another person. It means to accept it or to yield to it. The same way you're you're submitted to the Lord, you should be submitted to your husband. And I would dare say to you today, ladies, if you are not submitted to your husband, then you're probably not submitted to Christ. Because you can't be submitted to Christ and not be submitted to your husband. For your husband, verse 23, for your husband is the head of his wife. Say head. 
as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Say everything. That's right. I know how it feels. Everything. You serious? What's everything? Everything. The husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. You got to get this. God created your husband to lead your family. He calls him the head. He does not call him the tail. A man who's beaten down by a woman is a tail. At the camp we say, he's a whip puppy. They say other things I can't say in church. That's what we say about a man whose wife controls him. He's not the head, he's a tail. But God calls him a head. And God calls you to submit to him. Your husband is the head just like Christ is the head of the church. The church holds Jesus in the utmost respect, don't we? Don't we? We hold Jesus up in a high place, don't we? Like Jesus is the man. You did that this morning. We were singing, what a beautiful name. What a wonderful name is the name of Jesus, right? And we lift him up in honor and in, a, in, a, in majesty. And we lift him and we hold him up in this right place. God's word says that's what you need to do to your husband. I love me a quiet church. That's what you need to do your husband. Just like you hold Jesus up, you need to hold him up. Mm. In everything, just had to throw that in there one more time. So make sure, ladies, I want to make sure you got it. Every man wants respect. And I'm here to tell you, ladies, you'll get better results with respect than you will with control. What you're trying to change him by controlling him can only be changed by when you respect him. What do you mean by that? Respect him with your words. Respect him enough to talk to him about things that are bothering you instead of fussing at him about everything he does wrong. Respect him enough to have a, com- a conversation about the issue instead of keeping it inside and getting it pent up and letting it burst one day all over him. Respect him. You'll get more results, better results with respect than you will with control. Amen? Your husband is the head of you, of you like Christ is the head of the church. Respect him into the man he needs to be. Tell him when he gets it right. Appreciate him. Come on, man, I'm preaching better than you're responding. I know you're scared. It's okay. Like, I ain't saying amen to nothing. I got, he ain't going home with my wife. I'm going home with my wife. Come on, be a man. A husband is better off as a head and not a tail. If God made him the head, then he's created to be the, t- the head. He won't work as anything else. God created him to be the head of the household, to be the leader. He's not a good follower. He's a good leader. Come on. He's a good leader. He's at his best when he's being the head. 
And trust me, ladies, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done and the role is called up yonder, you're going to be glad he's the head and you're not. I guarantee you, Eve was glad Adam was the head when God found out what they did. Let's look at that. Genesis 3.9. Then the Lord God called the man. Where are you? Who did he call? The man. Who did he talk to? The man. Who did he reprimand? The man. Why? Because he's the head. I'm feeling some resistance. Some pushback. Ooh, some of you don't like that. I'm not submitting. He's not my head. It's okay. It's going to get you. God called and communicated to Adam first. Who did God create first? You see, ladies, I'm not trying to put you down. I'm trying to put you in your right spot. Because for too long, we've been in the wrong positions. I commend you for leading when you've had to lead. And I'm fully aware that there's been many times when men won't step up and lead and the woman has to stand up and lead. And you've done a fabulous job. I'll give you a big hand. And I mean that with a sincere heart because some of you nailed it. Some of you have been getting it right. But listen to me. You don't belong there. You can't stay there. You can't sustain that because you wasn't made to do that. Making sense? God went after the man first. He created him first. Doesn't mean that you're less. Listen to me. It doesn't mean that you're less. It doesn't mean that you're no good. It doesn't mean that God pushed you off to the side. It doesn't mean that you got a rightful place. You have a place, a very important place. Come on. And the marriage works the best when he's in his place and you're in your place. Amen. That's when it's, it's most harmonious. 50 cent word. Come on, somebody. I was worried it wasn't going to come out right. That word could go bad. So let's talk about some excuses. (laughs) These are a few Cheryl and I have heard over the years in marriage counseling. What if he doesn't want to lead? That's a legitimate one. My flesh says, well, bring him in here. I'll slap him around a little bit. We'll get him to lead. (laughs) Can't do that. Don't work. What if he doesn't want to lead? Let me ask you a question. Who had Adam's ear in the garden? God did. Eve didn't tell Adam what to do. God did. Who does Adam listen to? Well, he listened to the woman once it got him in trouble. <laughs> you see? You need to pray that God would get a hold of your man's heart. Lord, you speak to him. Maybe you need to quit complaining and fussing and whining and moaning and start praying. You can't complain about what you don't pray about. It's not right. You can't fuss about what you're not willing to go to God about. If you're not praying, you can't complain. 
Because you're getting what you're praying for. Amen? What if he doesn't want to lead, Pastor? You can't make him lead. But you can get out the way for him to lead. Sometimes it just takes a woman getting out the way. Because any man that loves a woman doesn't want to run over her. He doesn't want to hurt his woman if he loves her. It's not an excuse. It's just a reality. Get out the way. But what if it falls apart? Let it fall apart. Well, what if he don't step up? Pray your guts out. Come on. You seeing this? You got to give him room to lead. You got to submit, the Bible says. What does that mean? It means you go, baby, what do you think we need to do? Instead of, well, if you'd have done this and you'd have done that and you wouldn't have went here and you wouldn't have spent that money on this and you wouldn't have done all that, then we wouldn't be in this position. Does that help? Does that ever, men, speak to me. Does that help you? What does it do? It pushes you down. No man likes to be reminded of his failures. Maybe that's why God does, doesn't remind us of our failures. Because they don't help. They don't help. What happens instead of complaining to him and about him, if you start lifting him up and respecting him and encouraging him? Am I in the right church? Woo. Pushing this morning. Here's another excuse. What if he's not good at leading? Come on, ladies, is that a legitimate excuse? I mean, what if the guy just ain't good at leading? I mean, come on. Okay. I'm getting to the men in a minute. I promise you it's going to be worse for the men. (laughs) What if he's not good at leading? There's a verse for that. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, he ain't no good without you. Come on, ladies. Come on. Amen. You need to say it again, Pastor. He needs to hear that again. He ain't no good without you. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Say just right. Oh, man. Let me tell you something. Cheryl is just right for me. Oh, she's just right for me. And I'm just right for her. She couldn't have married another dude. She was dating this primpy boy in college. I walked up in there and saved her. Redeemed her, restored her, called out of darkness. Too much? I went too far. She's made just right for... I couldn't have married another woman. A passive, no-voice woman wouldn't have worked with me. I needed somebody strong enough to push back. She's tiny, but she'll push back. Why? Because I'm bullheaded. He gave me a helper. Just because God calls me head doesn't mean that I'm greater than she is. Don't forget, he says, I'm making the two one. 
If I'm the hell, that, I'm, if I'm the hell, if I'm the, well, that's the problem. If I'm the head, she's not automatically the tail. Come on, somebody. He, she, he never called her the tail. He called her the helper made just right for me. What if he's not good at leading, pastor? Watch this. Then help him. Well, that's what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to help him. Fussing don't help. Complaining don't help. Questioning everything he does don't help. Amen? It don't help. Help him. Ask God how to help him. It's a novel idea. Lord, how can I best help my husband? When's the last time you prayed that? Lord, I want to be the best helper there ever has been, Lord. Lord, help me to help my husband. Wow. I want to be a blessing to him. I want to, I want to display to my kids what a wife should look like. Come on. She's not perfect, but she's in process. Amen? I want to show him. I want to help him, Lord. Help, Lord, this, listen, if it ain't working, don't go to your friends and complain about it. Go to God and ask for a different strategy. Holla. Come on. You were made to help, not control. You were made just right for him. Can you receive that today, that you were made just right for him? He can't be who he's called to be without you. The me you see today is the result of Cheryl helping me. She is God's kind way of saying to me, bro, you need some help. Amen? All right, man, it's your turn. Ladies go, Phew. by the time you get off of me, Lord have mercy. Listen to me, ladies, with enough, with enough prayer, respect, encouragement, and space, every man can lead. How do you know that, Pastor? Because that's how God created them. Every man is created to lead with enough prayer, encouragement, respect, and space. He'll lead. Just be patient and pray your guts out. Ephesians 5.25. I don't know how I got to Galatians, but it's the wind. Ephesians 5, verse 25. All right, men, you ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say bring it. <laughs> A lot of good trash gets talked before you get knocked out. <laughs> verse 25. Here we go. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And guys go, hey, all I got to do is tell her I love her. She's got to submit, and I just got to keep saying, I love you. I love you, babe. I love you, babe. I don't have to change. I love you, babe. Love... Uh-uh. In fact, let's explore how God loved the church. Watch what it says. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. 
He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish to which the lady says, no spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes, hallelujah. Then instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. You still want to be a man? How did God, how did Christ love the church? Let's talk about that this morning. Well, number one, he pursued her. Whoa. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus pursued the church. He went after the church. He went to the disciples and called out the first disciples who then formed the church. Jesus pursued the church. He pursued her. When you first saw her, you fell in love with her. You pursued her. You brushed your hair. You brushed your teeth. You put on cologne. You put on deodorant. You put on your best clothes. And you washed your daggone truck to take her out on a date. Amen? Why? Because you were trying to win her. But once you got her, I think I heard somebody say stop. <laughs> Come on. Listen, this one's in my face all the time. I can't just preach it. I got to live it. I got to up my game. Come on, somebody. He pursued her. The second thing is he renamed Simon to Peter. Simon became Peter, and then Peter meant rock. And then Jesus told him, said, you're the rock, the one I'm going to build my church on. Jesus renamed the church. My wife came from a family that wasn't so perfect. Her daddy didn't affirm her and confirm her. He said some things that wasn't good to her. So when we got married and she came into a relationship with me and we started a new family, I had to rename her. Her name used to be Sheila, now she's Sheila. No, I'm joking. I'm not talking about that. That's weird. Don't rename your wife like that. Holla. I had to start speaking life into her. I had to come against the lies she was believing. Her daddy never told her he was a, she was his princess. He never would say how good she, she looked. He would never tell her how proud he was of her. And I had to come in and do what he failed to do, and I had to rename her. And listen to me, she is who she is because God used me to rename her. Amen? She's not just some skinny girl from Fenton, Louisiana. She's the wife of Jamie Tyler. The children, I mean, the, the mother of three beautiful kids, the pastor of this church, a friend to many, a life-giving, loving woman who gives more to others than she ever gives to herself. I had to rename her. Be careful what you say, men, because your words matter to your wife. And all the women said, amen. Amen. He called her out of the ordinary. He led her. He defended her. He taught her. Here's a big one. He corrected her. Oh, no, Pastor, I draw a line right there. You don't know my wife. You ain't ever tried to correct my wife. Well, you never tried to correct mine. You're going to have to man up and do it. When I said when we get home, I'm pulling off my belt. Listen to me. It don't work like that. And all the women said, amen. You correct them gently. I believe every good woman wants to be corrected. And they all left me hanging. 
He got up early in the morning to hear from God on how to lead her. He taught her about relationship and not religion. He added to her. He built her up. He encouraged her. He forgave her. He cried out for her. He took a beating for her. He hung on a cross for her to cleanse her. He gave up his life for her. Then he defeated the enemy of her soul for her. Then he rose from the grave and is sitting at the right hand of God and watching over her. And then he went to prepare a place for her in eternity. And then he's going to return soon for her. You still want to be the head? Don't feel so bad to submit now, huh? Come on. See, here's the problem. In the garden, they were pointing at each other. They were blaming each other for their shortcomings and their failures. And they were, they were trying to pass the buck. And they were trying to, to put the blame. Well, if he would do this, and, and then if she would do that, then I would be this. And then we wouldn't be in this situation of this and that. And then you never get anywhere as you stay on this vicious cycle. The New Testament says, instead of doing that, you both need to die to yourselves. And you need to live for one another. That's the secret to it all. You want to rule a woman? Learn how to die to yourself. Learn how to love her like Christ loved the church. Get you some of that. When's the last time you died for her? I mean like gave up something that really meant a whole lot to you just to be with her and just to help her. That's how Christ loved the church and that's how he commands us to love our wives. Lay down your life. Love her. Wash her with your words. If you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. But you better find something good to say. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. And all the women said amen. Everybody wants to be the head, but nobody wants to do what the head does. I want to be the boss. <laughs> I want to rule my roost. I want to rule my wife, but I don't want to do what it takes to rule her the right way. You want to know how to rule a woman? You love her like Christ loved the church. Ladies, how does that feel? For your man to lay down his life for you, to pursue you, to come after you, to defend you, to rename you, to call you something different than what you've been hearing your whole life. She doesn't need a dictator. She needs a deliverer. She's what you make of her. Wash her with your words. Lead her with your strength. Don't rule over her with your strength. Protect her. Be gentle with her. Just love her. I'll never forget one day God showed me. He said, listen to me, son. You're not messing with your wife. You're messing with my daughter. You know what that did to me? It put the old shoots in me. You're messing with my daughter, boy. I trust you with her, but you better not slip up. Does God love his daughters? You better believe he does. A couple excuses. What if she won't let me lead? (laughs) Here's a little secret. What do women like to do the most? It ain't shopping. It's talking. Women love to talk, guys. 
Okay, you ought to be taking notes. You're looking at me like a mule at the gate. You ought to be taking notes. What do women love to do? They love to talk. What do you need to do? You need to sit yourself down right next to her and you need to talk to her. Well, what if she won't let me lead? Then you need to communicate with her how you feel when she don't let you lead. You need to communicate her how it feels when she cuts you down, when she does something that doesn't feel right. You need to communicate with her. Not get mad at her. Communicate. Sit down and communicate with her. When I've done all that, Pastor, she still don't want to let me leave. What do I do? Pray. And pray some more. Go get some counseling. And that's a good thing. All of us could use some good counseling every now and then. You know what that is? You know what counseling is? Good counseling is you sit down with somebody who's led by the Holy Spirit. And they can help you sort out some things in your life. We could all use that. My wife and I have had plenty of counseling. And we'll probably need some more somewhere down the road. Maybe when the kids leave. I don't know. I'd like to think we got it together, but I know better. But you need to pray. You need to pray the whole time that God would help you to lead her. Cheryl and I had this problem, and I'm going I'm to start wrapping it up. Cheryl and I had this problem early in marriage. Cheryl came out of a relationship with her dad that she didn't trust men. She got a degree in college and was determined to never let go of it, that she was always going to have a way out. That's how we got married. She got married with the stipulations of, I know how I'm getting out of this thing if it's not right. She didn't announce that before we got married. <laughs> she didn't hand me a certificate and says, this is how I feel about marriage. <laughs> we get married. She won't let me lead. It's the battle of the sexes. I'm trying to be a leader because that's what God's made me. He's made me a leader, so I want to lead. She's questioning every single thing I do. She's telling me what I need to be doing and not doing. She's trying to control me. And I didn't like it. And it came to a head one day. And I'll never forget, I screamed at her. We were having one of those good fights. Good juicy one. And I, I looked at her, I said, why won't you let me lead? Thinking that she was going to fold. I told you God gave me the right woman. She looked back and said, because I don't trust you. And I went, dang. After we finished fighting, I went to prayer. That sounds real professional. I went and cried out to God because I realized that there was something broken in my marriage, something broken in my marriage, and I couldn't fix it myself. I went to God and I cried. I said, Lord, how do I lead Cheryl? I need help leading Cheryl, Lord. I don't know how to lead her. She says she don't trust me. What am I supposed to do with that, Lord? How am I supposed to handle that? And I'll never forget, I prayed this, I said these exact words. Lord, help me to lead her in a way that she will follow. Because I was trying to be a dictator and dictate to her what she needs to do. You need to do this, and then you need to submit. And I would say that in the middle of a fight. You need to submit. Don't ever do that. I would say that, and then it wouldn't work. 
And I was trying to tell her what she needed to do, and it wasn't working. I was trying to rule her. She was trying to control me, and it wasn't working. I said, Lord, help me. That's it. Lord, help me. You want to know how he helped me? He showed me through scripture how to better lead my wife. He brought men around me that had better marriages than mine. And iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. He gave me a short pastor about this big, but he looks about like he's that big when he talks to me and he tuned me up several times. You can't talk to your wife like that. Boy, are you crazy? I needed to hear that. God helped me. You can testify to this. Is all of this true? Wave your hand if it's true. If it's not true, okay. Who leads our house? And you're the helper. You okay with that? You happy with that? Satisfied? Had some issues at first though, right? (laughs) She didn't want to relinquish control. That's what I meant when I said get out the way and let him lead. You see, the whole time I was praying, she was praying, Lord, I wanted, she knew. She knew she needed to get out the way. She knew there was something unhealthy there. She knew it. She felt it in her spirit that there was something not right there. And she was praying the whole time, Lord, help me. Help me to help my husband. Help me to follow right. Help me. And when both of us are praying for God to fix us and not the other person, God shows up and things change. Amen. Stop trying to pray for God to change him. Ask him to change you. It's not their fault. And God did. God changed us. He changed us. He taught me how to lead in the way that she would follow. One of the scariest moments I have with Cheryl is when we have a major decision to make and we talk about it. And then she looks me in the eyes and she goes, baby, I trust that you hear from God. And I trust that you're going to make the right decision. So whatever you feel we need to do, let's do it. Every man wants that. But not every man knows what to do when he gets that. We're kind of like the dog chasing the car. We don't know what we're going to do when we catch it. Right? Because what happened was, is she now put pressure back on me, watch this, to be the head. Whoa. She repositioned me from her position. Come on. Every man needs the old shoots in him. You can interpret that any way you want to. Every man needs that. Every man needs the pressure of leading. He needs to feel the weight. If he's not good at it, then come alongside and help him. 